Hey, and welcome to all the lovers out there. This is the How to Love a Human podcast, moderated by Dr. Candice Nicole Hargons. Follow and come chat it up some more with us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candice Nicole and on our website, drcandicenicole.com. You will find those links in our description box. Today, the How to Love a Human podcast welcomes Dr. Rosie to the space. So sit back and join us along this journey on how to love a human. Hey, everyone. This is How to Love a Human, and I am with Dr. Rosie. How are you doing today, Dr. Rosie? Well, Dr. Candace, I'm doing great. I'm better just because even though this is not visible, I get to see you. That makes me happy. I'm very happy to see you too. So y'all may not know, but Dr. Rosie is what I call my psychology mama. And I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. I'm going to jump in with my non-researchy question first. Okay. Are you feeling human or human as fuck? Human AF. Well, I love that you're asking me that because I've, I've never heard of human AF. So I think it's because I'm old, I guess. <laughs> so I have no real understanding of what human AF is. So you'll have to help me with that. Okay. So maybe you'll go with human because I let people define it for themselves. Like what does feeling human mean to you right now? Okay. So feeling human for me is feeling alive. Mm -hmm. It is breathing in and out. It is understanding myself as a sentient being. Yeah. Uh, it is connecting with nature and other people, mm. understanding my place in the grand scheme of things. When you I, say I, the nature and other people, that hit for me. Uh-huh. Sometimes people think just people. What about that nature piece? Oh, no. I think it may come from my work with working on the uh, apology, the the American Psychological Association apology to indigenous people. Mm. And as I began began to understand their notions of what is alive, I think I've begun to notice more of everything around me alive and the interdependence of everything. And I I think that's what it is, that I am a part. Mm -hmm. I am a part of the leaves. (laughs) I'm a part of apples. <laughs> so, yes. so the whole thing, I think that, but, but my consciousness of being alive, I think it's the thing that makes me so human. Mm, I love that. Recognizing that it's all connected. Mm-hmm. And as, I don't know if this is the case for you, but it was for me, as I grew older, I became less connected to the earth and less connected to the environment. I know my grandmother used to garden and do peas and she was always doing something that reminded her that we're connected to the earth. I eat a lot of processed food and all of that. So I just, uh-huh. it's so easy to forget. Uh-huh. I think it is too. And I am not a gardener. Uh-huh. I am in the <laughs> garden club in my neighborhood, but I tell people I don't even really water the plants in the house. My husband does that. Me too. <laughs> But I appreciate his doing that. 
And so I, I, I don't know whether it was a disconnection because even when I was a young girl, when I was a young girl, very young, my, my family, um, the first place we lived on a plantation. Mm, I did not I, know that. Yes, 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 yes. I was born in Mississippi and my folk were sharecroppers. But when we moved, even when we moved to Memphis, there was still some going to the field stuff. So mm. I actually chopped cotton and picked wow. cotton. But I didn't feel connected. I did not feel connected. I felt like I was doing hard work. In fact, I was no good at it and mm -hmm. it didn't last long. So I didn't feel that kind of connection. I think that the understanding of how I'm connected really and truly just began. I, I do not think that I thought that I should abuse the earth. I knew that we were reliant mm -hmm. on the earth. But I think I felt apart from it. Mm. So I think I'm just now, I, I'm just now understanding how we're so interconnected. What does the inter interconnectedness mean to you now that you understand it? And, and actually, um, I did know that there was a part of me that wanted to just be buried, not embalmed and all that stuff. So that, so that animals and insects and all those things could feed off me and help yeah. nourish. I knew that I'd like the idea of my helping a tree to grow. Mm. I, knew that. I think what it is, is the interconnectedness is happened for me when I realized that all of those things are alive. Mm -hmm. That does not mean that if a roach is in my house that I won't kill it. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't kill it if it's outside. Right, right. Um, but, but I think that I did, I don't think that it was so clear to me that there is a wholeness mm. about the entire living process. And I'm just one part of it. I think that that just, I don't know, cognitively became clear to me and really within the last year. Wow. Well, that kind of connects to the next question. What are your most salient identities? Uh, other than being human. Okay. Mm -hmm. so I would say being a woman, mm -hmm. being black. Mm -hmm. I, I'm that new word that I learned a few years ago, cisgender. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm that. Um, I am a sibling. Mm -hmm. I, I, my family members and, and and I'm a daughter, but my parents are deceased, so I feel more the identity as the matriarch in our family. Oh, are you the oldest living sibling? I am. Wow, I didn't know that. I am. I'm the matriarch. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. It's a fascinating kind of thing that my I had two older brothers and two older sisters, and and now all four of them are deceased. Right. So. I remember you had older siblings, but I didn't know yeah, that they yeah. were all deceased. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. And so now I am the matriarch of the family. What does that mean for you? I feel so responsible. It's responsible. Yeah, I do. I feel. <laughs> that was a deep sigh. Yeah, yeah. I'm a partner. My, my husband is just. He is just so wonderful and such a great partner. And I love being a support system to him. 
I adore my friends. I really do. So I'm a friend. I am a, a mentor, a professor, a professional in the world of psychology. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. Candace, I hadn't thought about all these identities. Yeah. I don't even know if that's all of them. It's not, but it's there's so many. Mother. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. What makes these ones that you named stand out to you? I know matriarch was one you repeated a few times and and then mother just came up and being a professional and a psychologist, like being a, a partner, all of these things are meaningful, but what made them stand out to you? Like what's so salient about them right now? Well, and being spiritual. And being spiritual. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a foundational one for me. I, I, I think I'll, I'll go to the big sign about being matriarch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's because well, one, one of the things I know is I came from poverty, mm -hmm. first in the family. Is so, that another identity too, like having been born into poverty? Oh, big time. Yeah. And going to college and not only going to college, but getting a PhD. Mm -hmm. <laughs> having a PhD means that uh, I might get a call from my sister. Oh, I accidentally took my grandson's medicine. Well, oh, he takes like Adderall. What yeah. is that going to do to me? Or oh, I'm, I'm going, you know, PhD, not MD. Right. <laughs> I will get all those kinds of calls from people in the family and, and we'll work through it. Mm -hmm. So, so that I, so for example, when one of my brothers got COVID right at the beginning of COVID that, that Christmas got COVID and he let us know, I think I have COVID. Then he talked to me and couldn't get his doctor. I said, well, give me his home number, yeah. his office number, and I will get your doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that kind of thing. I feel responsible for them. I feel they look to me to help take care of them. Not, not, uh, not, not the, when my mother was ill, I had a brother and a sister who stayed there with my mom yeah. and I did not have to do it. I'm so thankful yeah. that I had them in the family to do that kind of taking care of. It's almost like my son said to me that I'm the daddy in the family. Oh, Ooh, break <laughs> that down for me. Because <laughs> you I said matriarch, I, but it's a little bit different. It's very different because yeah. my, my sister, who's about uh, two years younger than I am, two and a half years younger than I am, he says it's the mother of the family. Mm -hmm. And so that means that if, if she, she'll cook all the big meals. Okay. Okay. Uh, she's the person that if somebody, she's the one who was there to help take care of my mother. The uh, mm -hmm. she's, I'm the problem solver. Mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. they come to, if they really need to figure out how to get the car fixed. Yeah. I'm the one that if they need somebody needs a little extra money, they're going to turn to me. So it's almost those traditional male female roles. Yes. Even though I I I think if they I'm not the one that people think of. If you had a stereotype of going to lay your head mm -hmm. on somebody's chest and for them, to, I'm not that one. <laughs> in your family system, they no, don't see you in that way. I don't think so. I yeah. think. They would see my sister uh, Lily like that. They would probably see me, though, as the one to come to talk to the problem solve. But that's so interesting to me, because when I think about black womanhood and the different ways we play our roles in our family. Mm -hmm. 
and then the different ways that people think we're going to play our roles professionally. Mm-hmm. Professionally, folks would assume that that was you. But personally, in your family system, they're like, no, that's not Rosie. That's not <laughs> where her role is here. <laughs> professionally, people are like, oh, she's such a, a nurturer and I could just lay my ch- head on her chest. <laughs> and personally, it's like, actually, that's not me at all. <laughs> Probably some combination because I am. Uh, I am in my heart a nurturer. I am the warrior. I am. And I do believe in the work environment anywhere that my my job is to create an environment so that people function at their best. And so I think that trying to make sure that people feel heard and people feel respected, people know that I feel joy when I'm around them, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that that is important, but I don't think... I don't, I don't think even then though folks will think they could come lay their head on my chest though. I don't think so. I think that it's, so there may be a third thing that, oh. that we have that's warm and nurturing mm-hmm. that is still not like the mama. Yes. It's uh-huh. not like the mama or the mammy, but uh-huh. it's a presence that from, from my vantage point anyway, it's a presence that can change the temperature in a room. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that that's accurate. Mm-hmm. I, I think when I walk into a room that I do have the ability to warm it up. But I think that that, that is caring. Mm-hmm. I think that it is spiritual. I think that is because I do have a huge amount of respect for people. Yeah. I also think, though, that people know that I also have a firmness. Yeah. That's yeah. Be there and that I'm going to speak up and I'm not going to do much bullshitting. Yeah. And they appreciate it mm-hmm. because that means that you're trustworthy. Yeah, I hope so. Hmm. What about identities that you didn't mention? So things like body size and age, and you didn't oh. mention social class and like uh-huh. what it means to have been born into a sharecropping family, but uh-huh. things that didn't immediately come to mind, ability status, stuff like that. Uh-huh. I actually said poverty, not social class, because uh-huh. I don't like to talk about poverty. Well, I don't like to talk about social class mm-hmm. if we're not going to talk about poverty because right. I think that talking about social class allows people to escape talking about poverty. Mm, I don't same. like it. I don't like it. People don't like to look at poor people. People like to think that folk are not poor. Yep. Just as what we do, and I'll get off of this in a minute. No, go ahead. Just as what we will do with people standing on the corner begging, yep. and we like to say, that there's somebody trying to take advantage. And believe me, I was the same way, mm-hmm. that there's somebody playing the system, That because it's easier if we think they're playing the system wow. than to think they're poor enough to be out there begging. This wow. is your concept to think, oh, no, they've got it together. I don't have to be responsible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have to do If I blame people, yep. I don't have to be responsible for them, and I can keep my blinders on. So... Uh, so I tell people, no, I want to talk about poverty, yeah. not about social class, because that disguises it um, in, in some ways in my own mind. It does. And then you have to contend with why do not I not feel responsible to human well-being? Why exactly. do you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it allows me then, especially if I'm in a power position, to keep my power and wealth, yeah. to think that I'm different to think that I earned it to th- and not on the backs of poor people because right. most wealthy, most of our wealth, all of our wealth is on the backs of poor people. Yep. So anyway, 
Anyway, but what did you ask me? So I'll get off no, that. No, I think this is an important <laughs> direction because you're talking about being a person who transitioned from poverty yeah. into, I don't know how you would identify now, but middle class is middle what class. I yeah. Mm-hmm. And so even understanding that coming from poverty, mm-hmm. the transition into middle class still required on the backs of poor people, whether they were absolutely. the people in your family or the people absolutely. who loved you, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I so know that's why my daddy was a garbage man. And so when I walk out in my upscale neighborhood mm-hmm. and I do feel privileged, when I walk in my upscale neighborhood, I'm going to talk to those garbage guys. Yes. I am. And right now, that's who they are, men. Mm-hmm. That's, that's because I'm telling you, if this neighborhood is not clean, this is a pissed off sister. Mm-hmm. I want it cleaned up. So I want somebody out there doing that. Or and the, having dignity in their work because it's yes. valuable. That's right. That's right. Because I, I tell people right now, my son <laughs> went to NYU and he's still in New York, barely making a living. And if he gives up and comes home and is a garbage man, it'll be all right with mm-hmm. me. I just mm-hmm. want him to be an honest, hardworking person. So I, I don't know. So that so that 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 is so I, I, I am a, a, a fighter for poverty. Mm-hmm. That that is is one of my identities. I don't believe that I do enough. And I have to forgive myself, actually, all the time, Candace, for not doing enough. But th- but I do have passion about it. Um, yeah. What's another identity you asked me about? <laughs> you can be age, ability, oh. anything, whatever you can think of. Age. I love being an old lady. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for I, saying that. Thank you for saying that because so many... Older people, so many elders and elder women in particular, because of sexism, are always trying to avoid being older women. I'm like, I can't wait. Like, I'm uh-huh. looking for it. Uh-huh. Well, you know, you know, a, a wise older man. I don't know how old he was because when I was young, you know, people who were fifty were old to me. So <laughs> now I'm fifty since young, but I was twenty three, getting ready to turn twenty four, and I was having this. Thing I was carrying on about, oh God, I'm gonna be a half, I'm gonna be a quarter century. <laughs> and he said, There is an alternative, and that's mm-hmm. all he said to me. Mm-hmm. And I went home and thought about it. And I said, Oh, he means I could be dead. <laughs> that was the last age crisis I ever <laughs> had. <laughs> what do you love about being an older woman? I get wiser, I actually do, just like learning about being. So interconnected with yeah. me. that is such a great feeling. When I was young, I even had suicidal thoughts, or even into my thirties. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me why. Yep. I begin to tell you why, what they yeah. what it was about, what was the problem. I do not know, uh, but but oh, and learning to love. I'm yeah. telling you, I did not learn that until now. Until Let me time. okay. So you gave me the perfect segue because <laughs> what does love mean to you? It's joy. Joy. So, oh, yeah. And it is appreciation. And and, I, and now I'm talking about the love with my husband. Okay. Joy and appreciation. Yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. Knowing that he's such a wonderful man. Having my physical reaction to him. I mean, I would do that kind of stuff. that Yes. But, uh, or people do. I don't know. But that, that kind of looking at him and just being glad he's alive. Mm. Looking at him and seeing his beauty. Yeah. Uh, looking at him and appreciating him as a human person, looking at him and admiring him. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a, it's a, 
about him. I yeah. love that it's about him yeah. and not about me and being so thankful that now the part that's about me is being really thankful that he's in my life and that mm -hmm. I get to live with and share life with this human being. I just love it. I I spent so many years being uh, walled off, yeah, <laughs> protecting myself because From of what? Fear, fear of hurt. Fear of hurt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, my, you know, I, I grew up in a family where my daddy was abusive and my mom would leave and I felt left. Mm -hmm. When you're a child, it's all about you. And I, I, I remember the day sitting on, and I've told this story in other places and will continue to tell us, sitting on the top of these three steps that led to the house. I remember the day I sat there and I was no more than 10, deciding that I was never going to love anybody enough to be that oh, hurt when wow. they left me. And then I forgot about it. I put it on a shelf and forgot about it. When I was a teenager and girls were carrying on and hearing songs, and yeah, I had no idea what was going on with them. I was just saying, I'll be glad when I get to that stage. Mm. And then I was married and walking down the street. My best girlfriend at the time in, in Ohio uh, had moved to Mississippi. I'm walking down the street feeling some kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> thinking, yeah. What's wrong with me? And I realized that I missed her. Oh. First time I had ever missed anybody. Not your ex-husband, nothing. It was your friend. Oh, no, not my ex-husband, nobody. Not, <laughs> not even my old good friends because mm. I didn't allow it. And then, but, but so it's taken me over time mm -hmm. to come to understand uh, that kind of love. That, that doesn't mean that I didn't care. Like, yeah. it hurt my heart if something happened to somebody. It would, uh, I cared about my family, all of those things, but that joy love, mm. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I have lived to experience. Long what was the thing that shifted for you that made the joy love possible? Hmm. Okay. Tough question. I don't <laughs> know. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know, actually. I really don't. I know that. Oh, Lordy, what, what made a difference? It may be, it, it may, I'm sure it's built, it's a lot of things that mm -hmm. built up because my husband, I always liked him. And yeah. I tell him that's why I married him because the longer I knew him, the better I liked him. And that's true to this day. Yeah. It may be. This kind of joy I experienced actually in the last few months. And, and it may be when last year I started having physical problems. I, you know, I'm a walker. Mm -hmm, I walk mm -hmm. anywhere between three and five miles a day. Then I got, I have osteoarthritis, but I got mm. a bone spur in my hip. Excruciating pain. Oh. I felt anything like it. And it sidelined me. Yeah. I couldn't walk. I tried to find a therapist. I couldn't find a therapist through my insurance because mm. I was going to use any other time I've done therapy. I just paid. But I was going to find somebody and do telehealth. And yeah. Well, in my plan, first, I couldn't find a psychologist. Let me see if I can find a psychologist. No psychologist, no people of color. Finally, when we opened it up anywhere in the United States, I finally found somebody in Minnesota that I Minnesota. knew. Minnesota. And so then I, I, I said, okay, maybe I'll go with this guy. It was a guy in Knoxville. And so I, 
I sent her a request, never heard back. So I started sitting in my chair and I also start to write. I'm not 100% sure that the writing corresponds with this, but it's in my life, I divided into chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. Mm -hmm. That I'm going to sit and write for a few minutes every day and be spiritual and thankful. Mm. So sitting in that chair, looking out, I think it was just allowing an openness. But even as I tell you that, that doesn't feel like the whole truth. It's just so, a part of it. Yeah. So I don't know. So my, my guess is that it's been uh, part spiritual and and part just starting to be more thankful mm. for for my partner. I think it's just being thankful for John. I think it's is a part of it. Uh, taking time to initiate even touching him more. Yeah. Um, and you have time now that you didn't have before. So I think that opens up the opportunity for it too. That 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 could be, but it doesn't feel like it's because I have time. Mm -hmm. Because you know, I stepped. I stepped down as a vice president mm -hmm. in 2016, but then APA happened. So right, you may be right. <laughs> what would the world be like if it loved you? Oh, well, the world! The world does love me. Oops, say it. Tell me. How you know? What's the what's the? Well, I think it's the part of me that is very spiritual. Mm -hmm. I really do feel like a call being. I feel yes. like a messenger. Okay, say and, more about the messenger, because the well, spiritual piece is is important. Okay, and and it's it's a hard one. I think for people to understand and believe, particularly if they don't believe in God, if they're agnostic. And I am a person that I, I'll tell people I have prayed for two things since I was probably 18. That's <laughs> for faith and to be kind. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think I'm naturally either. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the first time I clearly remember hearing the voice of God was when I was a psychologist in Florida. And there had been these deaths. Of, mm -hmm. And I was young in my 30s. And there, these deaths of young people and one I remember in particular I remember his name was Alton he was an only child mm. and I remember feeling so much for his mother and I feel such distress and I was out jogging and the voice said uh, I felt I felt alone I felt hopeless helpless you know suicidal yeah helpless yeah. yeah and I'm jogging and the voice says go home and read Matthew Chapter 28, verse 20. Wow. It will say, Lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Mm. Now, I was not a Bible scholar. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know anything about any chapters and verses. And so I was really scared to go home and open the Bible because I was afraid that it wouldn't be there. Oh. Open the Bible to that chapter and verse. And that's what it said. It was the exact wording. Just about. Wow. It was like gold went all around the room. It's just like I felt it. And so since then, I've heard that voice on different occasions. I'll give mm -hmm. another example. My sister Lily, the one I said is mother in the family, was in the hospital. And they couldn't get her blood pressure to come down. Mm -hmm. 
And actually, I had this experience with my son before I had it with Lily, but this is one that came to mind. I went up to see her, and they just weren't getting the blood pressure down. I went and got in my car, and the voice said, turn around, go back, and lay hands on Lily and pray. Mm. And I did. And next day, her blood pressure was in. Listen. Because miracles are real. (laughs) Spiritual connection is real. Yeah, yeah. And it happened like that for my son when he was 16. And it had scoliosis surgery. It was supposed to be in and out in a couple of days. It was at least a week later. He was still in the hospital. They Mm. weren't going to let him out of the hospital until he had a BM. And so I was distressed. And I went outside his room. And I was out there praying. And that boy said, go lay hands all over his body mm. and pray for him. So I, my, this instruction was to lay it from head to toe. And he's going home tomorrow. So Ooh. I went in and I followed the instruction. And the next day when I came in, my son says, mom, look in the bathroom. He has saved his poop for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so... Part of what I feel, so when I uh, became a vice president at the University of Memphis, I heard that voice before I did it, <laughs> that you mm. need president at the University of Memphis on this date. Wow. And then when it was time for me to stop, the voice said, your work here is done. Mm. I kept saying, maybe that voice really means next year. <laughs> so you tried to tell the voice differently. I did. Because you didn't and want it to, to be I done. I, I love my job. And mm. the longer I stayed, the more miserable I became. Mm. Until I finally stopped. And then APA. So I stopped. Wow. And I, I, I gave him the letter. I stopped August the 31st. Went on sabbatical. Then I went to teaching uh, in January of mm-hmm. 2017. And so in March was when I got the call. Rosie, will you let me nominate you to be president of APA? And so then that changed my life. For oh, wow. About three or four years. And so so I, I don't, I don't, so part of being the messenger and, and why I message on poverty mm-hmm. and to be allowed the privilege of talking about it all over the world. And Candace, I cannot tell you how many times in the U.S. when I have done that, psychologists have come up and whispered to me, I grew up poor. Yep. Because it's a shame. They don't yes. want and, and so I, I, I think that was why I was supposed to. And actually, it was also the year that APA's membership started to go back up. It did. It sure did. I, I <laughs> telling me, I, I didn't know what APA stood for now, but now I think I, I, I'm i going to rejoin. Mm. So I had people telling me things like that. And you, I, it reaffirmed you were called to do it. Exactly. 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 So that's what that's what I think. Even even in this job, I figure I'm here being a professor for some reason. Mm-hmm. Not my first love. <laughs> <laughs> but you're but you are positioned for this time for a reason for a season. Mm-hmm. What identities and others do you sometimes struggle to love? Say again. What, I, what identities and other people do you sometimes struggle to love? Ooh, I can tell you the easiest one that I struggle. And that is um, people that I would politically call um, far right wing extremists. Mm-hmm. And so I, I truly have to pray 
to not want them to die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that 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 is. The, I don't understand people who are inhumane to others. Mm-hmm. I do not get it. I do not understand it, and I don't understand people who lie and cheat at the expense of other people. Yeah, I don't get it, and. So that's that's the one, and I and I really even people who are just right wing because I tell people I lean to my heart to the mm-hmm. left. I I like to have conversations with them, see what the differences are, yeah. and I really am okay with yeah. them. It's when it's harshness mm-hmm. that is it's like disregard for humanity. Mm-hmm. That is that is when I I have the hardest time. Um. Let's see other things that I struggled with. I probably, you know, I didn't learn to be okay, but I don't remember having any hate. I didn't learn to be uh, understanding and accepting of LBGTQ until I was in graduate school. Mm-hmm. I was raised to think that I didn't, not to not love though, because the guy down the street was gay, and yeah. you know, and I remember the the, the uh, the the man in my he he probably would use she uh she her pronouns now but back then not just uh, I would say was um but dressed in women's clothing and yeah. like and stuff like that but I don't think that was um I don't, I don't think we had terminology for so but right. but I love peaches I but I did think was I did think she was odd yeah <laughs> so yeah. that kind of, that kind of thing. And then the guy who was gay down the street, he was very masculine but and he was he was gay, but we all loved him. So yeah. I don't I don't know, but coming to understand and say it's okay, I think that took me a while to To get to graduate school and be introduced to different ways of thinking about it, maybe. And I think the other thing is also being with people. Ah, who okay. Were, who were I, I think more I would say lesbian mm-hmm. than I had because I didn't know any lesbian women that I knew when mm-hmm. I was growing up, and so having friends and I think yeah. just I think that's probably it. Um, having some real relationships with people, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. I was trying to think what about disabilities. Sometimes those could be hard to look at, but we had people who were. I had an aunt who was a double amputee, and she was one of the most loving people I knew. So I don't know. I I can't think of any off the top mm-hmm. of my head right now, other than those that are really, really hateful to other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you said, even when you said, like you have a hard time understanding how how they got there, it's like even if you understand it. You understand how they got there, and it's still the violence is present with it, like the hatred, the harshness, the disregard for humanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, I don't have as hard a time. Uh, although, for somebody who shot my own child, I probably would have. I probably want to kill them, mm-hmm. but I don't even have as hard of a time with um, some of those youngsters who are shooting up other people mm-hmm. as I do with the. With with a right wing uh, a right wing person trying like to extremists because you're an immigrant you you're responsible for fentanyl mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff that I have truly tr- 
truly, that makes me angry. And I don't feel love for those individuals. Those are the ones I have to pray for forgiveness yeah. for what I feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got one more question. What do you love most about you? Oh, okay. I love my sense of humor. I'm not mm-hmm. naturally a comedian, <laughs> but something comes over me sometimes and this stuff will just pop out. And I, and I like that. Um, love most about me. Love most about me. Uh, I like the way I look, but I'm mm-hmm. not love it. Um, I like it though that I'm natural. Mm-hmm. I like that I've never permed my hair. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like that. Oh, I and, and so and that is part of what I like. I I don't understand where this audaciousness comes from mm. because all the things about me would seem to make me want to be something other than I am. Mm. Tell me about I, that. Well, if you grow up being called black and ugly and your hair yeah. is nappy and all mm-hmm. of that stuff, mm-hmm. I think that it would make me not want to have my hair natural. Right, right. Listen, so, I've been there. I feel you. Even my mother, I, I mean, red is my favorite color. Like I even had to have some red today. And it was because when I was a little girl, my mother, I had on some red lipstick. I think my mother said um, something about uh, looking like a little monkey or something because it was that association of black people mm-hmm. red. so you know what Rosie did hmm. so red is my favorite color <laughs> and I'm shy and I and I feel anxiety and stuff and yet there's this thing that mm. that that is audacious and will not just sit by it just won't yeah and you love that I do I do the other thing is that I love I love being myself and I love understanding that I have a lot of flaws. Mm -hmm. I I like that. I do. Where do you think, if you could pinpoint the audacity, where do you think it came from? Because I agree with you. Like, you grew up as a dark skinned black girl in the South. There were very few messages about your inherent worth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then you just come out anyway and be like, That's right. That's exactly right. You better enjoy this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where do you think it came from? You know, it may be, if if I wasn't just born with it and called to do it, maybe it's, I was an early reader. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it comes from having an imagination. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe it comes from being smart, a little smart girl. I'm going to talk about being smart. A little smart girl. And people do reward smart. Yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it may be that because I got a lot of reinforcement in school for being smart. So. Mm-hmm. You can get away with stuff when you're a smart girl too. Yeah, yeah. So it could have been. It could have been. It could have come from being smart. It could have come from. I, I maybe it's in my genes because uh, my mother was. My mother really was a strong black woman. I mean, she had her fears, and I I talk about that sometimes when I tell stories. Uh, but she still, I mean, she lived with my father, mm-hmm. and she had all all these children, and <laughs> she she managed somehow to save some enough money to buy herself a house. It was in mm-hmm. a poor neighborhood, but maybe it's it's uh, a strength that that maybe yeah. 
And that is how to love a human. Thank you so much for taking this time to talk to me. You're a joy. And in your terms of defining what love is, a joy in my life. So I'm just really grateful. Anything you want to share as we wrap up or close as we wrap well, up? I do want to say that I am grateful for you because I still remember the how I met you. And we met, and we then we did telephone conversations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. And then you had to bring, when we had an APA meeting in D.C., and you were bringing something to my room, and I opened the door and realized that I had never seen you, but I thought for sure I knew you and that we had been interacting. <laughs> and I said, ah, I can't believe it. I, I, and, and, and so I think that I just love watching you do what you do with boldness because you're an inspiration. The um, Just watching the next generation, or you probably that second or third generation, <laughs> I'm fourth and the way, I mean, the, the, Having having uh, loving as a human or loving as an A A F and mm -hmm. and the first dissertation that and I saw this young woman yesterday she's a, a professor now and her dissertation she was talking about fuck the grades and I, <laughs> I, I said oh God I've got a dissertation where I can't even say these words <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just thankful and happy and joyous that that changes here. Yeah. And that, that I know how to, or well, I'm learning how to adjust it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Candace. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you.